This is episode three of the Empowered Athlete Podcast. Let me take you back to the summer of 2008. I hadn't qualified for the Olympics again, but it was my first summer not playing for the national team. I had it off and I got to train the entire summer with Kari on a specifically made program that was tailored to me, my injuries, my body, and my goals for that next upcoming season. And I was 34 years old. Well, the result went back over to Turkey and won a European Cup in incredible physical condition. Thank you to that program setting me up for the perfect season. Well, now you have access to the exact same thing. Hit email ks at empowerconditioning.com. That's ks for Kari Schneider and get started on one of Kari's incredible online training programs. The program is tailored to you. It has video of each exercise you're doing so you know what you're doing. Your reps are laid out. The sets are laid out. You can't go wrong. Reach out now to reach your best. We're so excited to have Gavin Schmidt on the Empowered Athlete Podcast today. I hope you know who Gavin Schmidt is. If you know anything about Canadian volleyball, or international volleyball for that matter, then you would know Gavin. He's a tower of power. People see him play and they literally say, holy Schmidt. He's a beast. The guy's (laughs) a monster on the court. And we're going to learn all about his career today. We've been fortunate enough to know Gavin for quite some time. And you'll love to hear about the in-depth parts of his struggle overcoming serious injury. Like we're talking rods in his legs. So tune in because this is going to be a fantastic interview. Welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast, created to support athletes in their pursuit of excellence and inspire others toward their best lives. Hosted by Kari Schneider, coach to top performers in sport and life, and Paul Durden, former national and professional volleyball player. Empowered Athlete Podcast. We're here with Paul Jordan. Hey, thanks for thanks for having me on. Gavin, super pumped to have you on and to hear about your incredible career, which is ongoing in the volleyball world. Yeah, still uh, still dabbling a little bit. Uh, dabbled a little bit in the <laughs> summer, but uh, you know, just uh, as I tell people, just trying to stay relevant in a young man's world <laughs> hey, okay. as long as I can. We're laughing because dabbling is such an understatement for what you've accomplished thus far in your career and just what you've contributed to the Canadian national volleyball team. So why don't you give us a little insight into how you got where you are now and just yeah, tell us your story a little bit. All right. Well, what I used to do was not dabble as much. Now I'm just uh, <laughs> doing it a little more. But yeah, uh, well, I got selected to the senior team and. Um, 2007, I uh, didn't start playing volleyball until my senior senior year in high school. My mom kind of forced me into it, and and uh, I got rolling. And after a couple of years in university, I got selected, and and that was really the tipping point for me. From there, uh, once I decided that I was going to give up, you know, going to school and and try to be everything I could be in volleyball, that basically consumed everything. So, so before you uh, before you go further, 
your mom forced you? Well, <laughs> how did how did that work out for yeah, you? Yeah, like she, she, I guess I shouldn't say forced. She like she twisted my rubber arm. Like uh, I stopped playing sports in grade eleven. I was predominantly a basketball player. Nice. And uh, and then I grew seven inches. I think it was in grade eleven. So walking oh. and chewing gum at the same time was hard. Like yeah, it's kind of like topple over if you try to talk to people because you have no body coordination. Did did you ever try a, a dunking contest like Paul did? Uh, I did. I got I got thrown in one in grade twelve. Yeah, uh, and I could barely dunk. And the coach did it as a gimmick and had me dunk over a credit card. And it was like <laughs> no, it was, just, it was not cool. Like they had this big plan planned out, and he's like, "No, you're like I." I was like, "I don't want to do it." He's like, "No, I've been waiting for an athlete who can dunk to do this." I, like, I really don't want to. <laughs> But uh, but we did it. It was quite humiliating, and uh, oh. I've never considered going in another one. <laughs> oh my gosh! You know, when just for those athletes out there who go through growing spurts, I can't count the number of athletes that I've seen that that become really tall really fast, and they go through those spurts like six inches in six months, kind of thing. And it's like learning to walk again. You can't you can't coordinate, you know, your upper and lower body, let alone you know, try and do a complicated agility move. It just, it, it's like, yeah, it's like a fish out of water. Oh, it's basically Bambi on ice. If you've ever seen that movie, <laughs> yeah. that is just your life. You get up out of bed and it's like everything is covered in ice and you're on really dull skate. <laughs> well, you, you remember when, when I first got you, that's a little bit of what I saw, but not, not fully, but a little bit. Well, I was going to say like you coming, you're talking about these growth spurts, but I mean, you would have got me not long after that. I mean, it was three years after that, and I had put on no more muscle, but had gained yeah. a small amount of coordination. So. You were you were gangly and bouncy, but yeah. but when uh, when we had you for uh, back training when the rest of the team was gone competing, the thing that impressed me the most was like I I've had to teach countless gangly athletes how to do the basics basics of olympic lifting and one of the things that impressed me the most about you was that you were picking up the form so quickly and i was shocked because you were one of the longest levered and gangly guys and i was just <laughs> like this is blowing my mind you were just like step by step you'd you'd take it and you'd grab it and you'd keep going and i don't think you realized at the time that what you were picking up usually takes athletes. You were picking it up in about three weeks, what would take an athlete three to six months. And I was really excited because you were catching on to these movements really quickly. And it was almost like your body was just at that stage that you were ready to, to coordinate again. You were ready to just fire in sequence instead of be, you know, awkward and blocky and choppy in your movements. So it was really exciting for me at that point in your career. Well, and I think, and I was going to say those listening too, if you've never seen Gavin play, he's known internationally as simply one of the highest hitting attackers in the world. Bottom line, just absolutely flies. And you're what, Gavin, 6'10"? What, what are you officially? Uh, I don't know, like two, two meters and eight or two meters and nine, like the amount of times we ever okay. actually get measured actually, but it's around like 6'9", six, 6'10". Okay. Six, so. Yeah, so you're, so you're a big guy and you've taken that, training and coordination and translate it into a big jump as well, which is just, you know, phenomenal to see it on court. And uh, 
Yeah, I've gone from dunking over credit cards to dunking over an ATM, really. Like, <laughs> that's, I mean, people need to understand that you're, the way you're describing yourself, they're imagining a beanpole who, who can't walk, but to see you now, it's a completely different thing. So, well, that's pretty those... much what I was. I mean, uh, credit to Kari for being able to train Gumby how to Olympic lift because you'd <laughs> <laughs> pretty much assume you'd just crumble under the bar. But actually, funnily enough, that, that's like one of my fondest memories uh of our time together kari because i remember the team left and i was ever so uh i was devastated i mean i shouldn't really be because i'd only been with the team for like a month mm-hmm. and uh, they're just kind of like yeah you're not coming on this trip but I, I remember trying out and you're like yeah you're gonna you're gonna power clean and i was like i do not know how to power clean. Yeah. and i basically <laughs> just had to pick up the bar and put it on my shoulders there's no way uh but i remember going through through that one-on-one training and and uh, and picking it up really fast because because you taught really well, and I'm also a very uh, visual learner, so you were able to present it in uh, in a way where I could see it. If I could see someone do something, I can recreate it fairly easily. Uh, whereas if you gave me like a manual on how to do it, it probably would have taken me eight or nine months to figure it out. But <laughs> but that but... training uh, coupled with what we did, uh, Paul, you were touching on on me jumping high because uh, I I didn't, and then. Uh, Alexander Gomancasius, Alex. Uh, I saw him in Greece when I signed pro that year, and he's like, "I remember you from the summer." And then you came out to Greece, like I think it was a, six months later. He's like, "And you were flying." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, it just it's took the right to the right stimulus. Yeah, I mean, it's a combination of so many things, right? But but uh, you just needed your body was ready for that stimulus, and to give people a real visual, you know, you just learned that Gavin is. 610 ish. Well, I'm lucky if I even get close to 55 ish. So when I'm demoing something for him, if somebody had a, you know, sneaky video or something, it would be hilarious to watch. Yeah, if only we had like smartphones and iPhones back then and we could have had video right. of all that, eh? Hey? Yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm happy we didn't because there'd be a lot more footage of me. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. That's, so- that's the thing, yeah. And Gavin, so obviously some credit to Kari there, but there had to be something about her workouts you hated, something in the gym you didn't like. So well, okay, I can't so, believe so this, you're going there. Let's give her a, do- I, I let's give her a dose of reality here. This, I've got this my is, short list. Okay, this is my story because because uh, you guys had had asked if we had any good stories, and I'm pretty sure I hated you until that point <laughs> when we did one on one training for for and it's for one reason because my very first day on the national team, I am scared because i never did a junior <laughs> national team nothing we sit down in your gym and me and davin st pierre were stretching and both of us had never done any national team stuff we have no idea about protocols and you call us in and you say yeah what what, what do you weigh but oh, uh, at the time i think it was like 80 188 pounds or something like i was no yeah that's <laughs> well you're not sure i said well, I checked my weight at, at the trial. She said, we didn't, didn't weigh in. Said, no, like we didn't know. Like, well, the scale's in there. Go take your shoes off and go weigh in. And so we went and weighed in. Then we came back and said, you're late. You're fine. And find us $2 for being late. <laughs> Even though we were in the gym, we just didn't know anything. And you find us. And I was like, I hate this lady. <laughs> I decided at that point, I was like, this is, this is the end of it. But then we got to spend time together and I got over it. Pretty <laughs> that is like today. I still tell people that story of my first day on the national team and how terrifying it was getting fined. For being 
I don't even remember that. <laughs> but you know what? Just... You know what I, I do remember though, like um Chris Wolfenden had come up with the crybaby jar. Yeah. And it was really strict because I don't know if you know the backstory behind that jar, but Yeah, I do. Yeah, like he was he he there was a big paradigm shift over how hard um, everyone was going to be in terms of their mindset and focus because Olympic qualifier was on the line and he was coming back from injury and, you know, it, it was one of those push hard days and he started to mentally break down and he, he made the decision that day to come back with a jar and everybody was sticking to it, but it, it, it made everybody more accountable and more strict with each other. And that's what you stepped into, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, just an unbeknowing, like, doe-eyed young man who just, yeah. like, is scared. I, I'm pretty sure I just saw Paul walk over and pick up a 20-pound medicine ball with one hand and walk through the gym, and I'm just, like, terrified of everything around me. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well hey, to, to segue from that paradigm shift and the mental attitude that Kari just mentioned with the jar, a second ago, you mentioned that you'd just been with the national team for a month and you were upset about not traveling with the team, which tells a lot about you right there in that statement and that you want to compete, you believe you should be there, you want to be in the action. So where did, where did that come from? I mean, this is, you know, you're feeling that your first month with the national team, brand new, where a lot of people might just be happy to be there, Yeah, but you, know, you, I mean, you want to be traveling. So where did, where did that come from? Uh, I don't know be honest i've i think i've always had that i've just been ultra competitive in pretty much everything i did i'm sure a large portion of it is growing up with an older brother who's bigger than you and stronger than you <laughs> and and all you have to do is always try to compete to catch up to them and maybe one day be better than them at something and that's what you want all your life is to be better than your big brother at something <laughs> and i think that just kind of groomed me into being uh super competitive because my mom enrolled us in sports young as you can see she's pretty much to thank for my entire athletic career mm -hmm. <laughs> moms always know but um yeah i'm pretty sure it came from from that and then you know i was happy just to be there but the thing was i was never content with just being there mm -hmm. i was i wasn't frustrated that i wasn't on the list per se that they didn't pick me they didn't say oh he's he's so good he needs to come i was frustrated that i wasn't good enough to go or mm -hmm. at the time you know i understood that you know i was i was new i was raw probably it made sense that i shouldn't be going but i was still upset with that that i wasn't good enough to be going and so that's what just kind of fueled me and and kept me going and i've kind of carried that through my career rather than thinking I should be going and having it, I guess maybe coming from like an ego standpoint, anytime it didn't happen, it's like, it's a blow to my self-esteem in a way where it's like, yeah. you're not good enough to be going. You better get to be good enough to be going on that trip or to be starting or to be doing something rather than thinking I am good. Most, um, most people who are, driven enough to make national teams or go as far as you have have little rules that kind of define happiness or define success and it's those kind of things that say well I'll I'll be happy when I get to travel or I'll be happy when I get selected for this or I'll be happy when I earn this and ultimately 
for a lot of athletes, it leads to this never ending um, search for success or search for happiness. And you're describing a little bit of that in, in what you're feeling there. What, what is your, what is your definition of success maybe now versus then, or um, what, what is that like for you? That's see, you, you said it right, right. As you were talking about that Um, for me, it, it never ends. It's a, it's a continuous loop because you set these small goals and, and you achieve them. Okay. I'll be happy if I win this league and then you win it and you're like, well, but I could have won that league, that league better. Mm -hmm. And you always find something more. Um, Yeah. It it never, you'll never be a lot of people or myself. I would, I'll never be completely satisfied. Uh, Finish fifth in the Olympics. Well, you know, we could have finished third or finish first or something. You always find something more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understood that fairly early and, and I made the conscious choice, uh, whether I fully believed it or not, I, I voiced it like this, uh, maybe I guess try and trick myself into believing it, that my definition of success was going to be instead of what I necessarily accomplished on awards or on paper or on anything like that, uh, more or less kind of what legacy you leave in a way. I just wanted to do everything I could within my career because there's so many people that would kill to play professional volleyball or I would love to be a professional athlete or or get paid to do anything. And I just decided that I was going to try and convince myself that success was measured in being successful within my means and and having a successful career and giving it the most that I could and then and then that would be classified success because no matter what I would always find something more that I would want mm-hmm. to achieve or something more that I'd want to win or something more that I'd want to do better and I still do like I'm as an athlete I'm such a perfectionist if I finish a game and I don't hit a hundred percent which anybody who knows volleyball is yeah. pretty much a pipe dream. <laughs> Impossible. I'm fairly upset with myself. I'm like, well, I could have killed that ball. That ball, if I did this and that, I'll go through everything and yeah. I'll be upset with myself, even if other people think I did absolutely awesome. And in that, facing those questions of, especially when you're faced with injury, because one of the questions I have is, is about legacy. And you really, you dove into that without me asking, but, um, in having your legacy be that you've really given all you can to your career and, and given all you can to your sport. But then that begs that, that situation where you're continually drained, you're continually spent, you're continually giving for the team or the country if you're playing national team and you're that commodity constantly. And then you're injured. And then it comes down to that, that question of, well, you know, can I still be happy if I can't play, if I can't contribute, if I can't give, or another question of, you know, how much is enough if I'm continually giving, how do I replenish myself or fill my own cup so that I can still be a partner or be, you know, a son or a teammate or somebody else in the world is a different role than a professional player or a national team player. 
that uh it's funny because i've i've definitely towed that line like i mean i gave two shins uh again for anybody listening who doesn't know i've had uh two tibial nailings done which is where they hammer a a rod down the center of your shin due to stress fractures and i've had it on both legs and i i've towed that line where how much is enough how much is too much because they've i've played on them healed and i've played on them unhealed and i've played on them healed and then re-injured and and honestly well, one of, one what's of that like things. describe to people what that's like because that's like you know you seem like such a positive guy outwardly and you're you're so polite and you're so you know present when you're speaking with people but when you're on your own and you find out that it's that bad again or that you have to play and you know you're not ready like what's that like for you um well the the two stories i give i mean to sum it up first really well is it's a dark most people i mean you can assume that would be dark but when you when you wake up in pain and you go to bed in pain and and that just becomes when pain becomes your norm Mm-hmm. it takes you to a very dark place and then you start masking that pain with advil anti-inflammatories painkillers whatever whatever it is you need to perform or play because say you're in a big tournament uh those affect your body and they affect your your hormones and affect everything yep. and yeah the darkest it's really unhealthy it is the darkest place i've been in have been due to pain and covering pain with those and the only surmountable amount of joy that I, I get in the day is when I'm on court and I kind of block out that and just do what it is I, I'm doing this for. But then the rest of the day becomes a lot, a lot darker. But the two, the two, the two kind of, well, I guess kind of three instances were the whole lead up to Rio for me. Um, I had kind of got to a place where I was able to manage my my left shin which kind of hadn't healed properly but i was in a i was kind of in a good spot and then the right one goes and and i i get surgery in january and and i missed the qualifier and the guys don't do it and i'm injured so if you want to talk about a dark place uh paul you know because you yeah at the olympics and, and you've tried many times and yeah. when you watch yeah, that get, go out the door and you're not able to help it uh it'll sink you real low real fast yeah i know personally my, who i was and, and you know until recent recent history who i was was paul durden volleyball player and nothing else i was so one dimensional and so being injured and not being able to be 50% of that or 80% of what i felt i should be it was incredibly dark because it's it's who you are. You you're yeah. nothing. I see myself as I can't show anyone in the world that I can do anything positive because I can't perform. Yeah. And you said uh, there's in a CBC interview about being on the couch watching that qualifier, not helping the team, that you felt like you had let the team down. Yeah. That's where you were mentally, which I find, and I'm sure people listening would find amazing in that. Here's a guy who has pushed it so hard that his body is broken and he still feels as though he has let his team down and hasn't been able to help them qualify. So yeah, keep going with that if if you don't mind and just Yeah. 
Um, so basically, my, I mean, my leg wasn't completely broken, so the, the, the idea of playing still could have been possible, but I could have ended up with the Kevin Ware injury and a snap leg, which would end my career. Uh, so all in all, it was the right decision not to play, but, you know, when you know you can do something and, and watching it, my feeling is if I was there, it would have went different and it, it could have been better even though honestly I was in no condition to play but in my head that's what I'm thinking that's what I'm going through and and then and I just watch you know the the Olympic dream slip away and we don't really know when when the last chance qualifier is all I know is that I have a surgery the next day that I'm getting a rod put in my shin that took me six months to recover from the next day and I I just started to sink. Like I, I was sitting on the couch. Basically, you could picture it lifelessly. Like I was staring mm-hmm. blindly. I was shook completely to my core. And and I have a buddy who I was out in Vancouver to get the surgery, and uh, I know him from my from my high school days. He was out there, and he happened to just be over there. He lived there, and he came over to watch the the qualifier with me. And I was sitting there and, and he just kind of turned to me. He's like, man, it's okay. And I didn't respond. And I said, dude, look. And and I'd rented a nice uh, apartment because my mom was coming to, to help take care of me. He's like, look where you're staying. You're in a beautiful like apartment in Vancouver. You're in downtown Vancouver. You got friends. You know, you're you you've got like you're not poor. All like you've got a good life. We got a good life. No problem. That's done. You're you're gonna get surgery tomorrow. You're gonna get healthy, and you're gonna qualify at the last chance qualifier. I know it. And snapped me out of it, like real quick. He just kind of talked me out of probably one of the darkest places I was, I was in. And it just took a little bit. It just took someone there to see that. And um, without that, you know what? My whole mindset going into surgery and and the recovery probably would have been way different because the way I was feeling was like a shell of a human. Like it was it's, like your soul got ripped right out of you and you just had it's, nothing it's, left in you. It's so, I think sometimes it's so hard for people to understand because A, first of all, I mean, I've seen this over and over again when it comes to injuries and recovery that unless the mindset, unless the preparation before the surgery is in a, a positive space or in a productive space or progressive space, it really, really hampers the recovery. There's, there's that element, but what you said earlier in that there's all these amazing things around you and you were fortunate enough to have somebody persistent in pointing them out, pointing them out and being there with you and just kind of like, come on, buddy, I got you, you know, I got your back kind of thing. And, and I can say that, you know, like Paul has gone through this type of thing and it when when you're in that dark of a place and you may be depressed and you may have such a connection to one identity and not an identity as you know a a member of society or a son or a partner or whatever but just so much of a connection to the identity as an athlete that you can't see those other things like it literally doesn't exist in in your mind and and paul can can speak to what that's been like and and have so many amazing things around him but he can't see it all he can see is that he feels a certain way or 
you know, just that loss of, of identity. And, and you know, one thing in there that you didn't mention that, uh, that weighs on it is you never stop thinking about people's expectations. Mm -hmm. So all of that's weighing on you and, and your lack of identity and your lack of, of, of connection to people. And then, and, and you think of what people expected me and, and that makes it just tenfolds worse because that's where the feeling of like letting people down comes from and again paul i think you're about to speak sorry for cutting you off uh oh. that uh you probably felt all of that as well yeah that you nailed it that's a huge component of it i remember uh people who don't know my story tried to qualify for the olympics four times and failed each time and it was what made it so bad was how i felt as though i'd let down all these people who had volunteered to support the national team uh you know i always think of john blatcher who was on staff of the Volleyball Canada, but just tremendously underpaid for the passion and work that he put in. And I felt like I was letting down all of those people and their expectations. And it just absolutely magnifies everything and puts under a microscope. And incredible that you had your friend there to put you through that gratitude exercise of just, what, what can we be thankful for here? It's, it isn't that bad and uh, just amazing timing. If you could, could you, and just to explain to people what, what's happening at that time in your life. So the national team has a chance to qualify for the Olympics uh, right around Christmas. It Did was fail? Uh, January 11th. Right. Uh, I had the unfortunate displeasure of calling that match uh, on CBC. <laughs> and uh, the, the team failed horribly. Uh, it was a great chance to qualify, but finishing where they did in the tournament, they did gain a spot to this last chance qualifier. And the way it works in international volleyball is there's the different zones in the world. The winners of those zones qualify for the Olympics and the second and potentially third place teams are all in in one last tournament to try to grab a spot, which you guys went to in Japan and you actually played in. So could you maybe take us from that low of not qualifying in Edmonton, the team you're on the couch, through that six months of you know your recovery, what you're focused on, how you kept it positive. There had to have been setbacks in there uh, to the qualification itself. Yeah, so um, from there, uh, as Kari said, that was able to uh, unshake me, I guess, is a good way of, of describing it, because I was completely shook. Uh, like I said, it, it just felt like my soul had been ripped out of my body. Um, so I, I get surgery the, the following day on the 12th. And what I thought was supposed to be, you know, Olympics are in August. So January to February, February to March, March to April, April, May, May to June, June, July, July to August. I have seven months to, to fix this injury, which really should be enough time. Um, and I wake up that day and I, and I do the math and I'm like, well, what? I should have seven months to do. Our last chance qualifier is in May. I have four months to to get it done. There's always a push timeline for for <laughs> anything national team. It it is, and yeah. and you know what? Like it it uh, well as I continue with the story, uh, four months was not enough, but yeah. but it kind of was, but it wasn't. Um, yeah. So I got the surgery. It was successful. Uh, same surgeon who did my other leg. So I knew him very well. And, 
and started the recovery process. I mean, uh, you're a couple, you're three, three to four days bedridden, uh, popping heavy painkillers, trying to, you know, when you when you bash your shin against the coffee table, uh. like times that uh. like hundred, but it's from like knee to ankle. Oh God. That's what it feels like for just a couple of days. Your body kind of adapts, and then it starts to settle down, and you can start putting pressure on it right away. Uh, so I got set up with a, a facility out in Vancouver called Fortius. It's uh, actually an amazing place. If you guys ever get a chance to go out, go check it out. Really amazing people. Integrated staff between strength and conditioning, hydrotherapy, which is underwater treadmills, uh, huge strength and conditioning, physios, massage, chiropractors, like everything in-house. And they, it's integrated. So they all know what everybody else is doing. And uh, I got set up with, uh, one of the top physios there to discuss a, a recovery process and he's like you know what I think we can get it done four months I think we can do it so I mean I leave feeling pretty upbeat hearing that someone else thinks that they, that we can do it he's like I wish we had more time but we don't you, you need like, that you need somebody else's belief because it's not enough with just your own you need somebody else's belief too it was and and you know what they, he was like I think we can get it done like no guarantees like that we we should have more time but if we do this 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 uh we do hydrotherapy three times a week or physiotherapy twice a week we get you on a good strength and conditioning program um you got a shot you know what you got a shot and you should be going back pretty good and and you have a chance and so basically at that moment there once he said that i just hunkered in and said okay i'm just gonna work my ass off do what i need to do do all of the right things um, give myself every possibility I can to get there. And that includes just like staying positive, understanding there's going to be minor setbacks and just like, and just working and just being, and I, I like work. That's the thing about me. It's like, I'll go out and work in my garage and work for 12 hours. Happy. Yeah. Uh, so I like the work. I like the practice. That's why, that's why I think I'm still going. Uh, so that was, it was actually in a way kind of fun because you know, when you're first learning a sport or first learning things, you make huge improvements and the sport becomes tedious once you get up there and you're like, you're working super hard to make minute little gains. Yeah. So you're going through that whole like process again. And so, you know what? I was happy. I was walking in every day smiling and just working really hard. Even some of the people are like, how are you so happy every day? Like, like, well, I can't really control it now. (laughs) Like I'm doing all the right things. It's going to work or it's going to not. I'm just going to, you know, get through the day. It's and such an you, amazing recognition to know that you can't control all these other things, but what you yeah. can control is just how you present yourself to the world, how you are. Yeah. So what is, what is being grumpy? How is that going to get me healthy any faster? Yeah. Coming in here and being all like sad faced the clown and just like moping around here, like half ass and everything. You know what? I'm just, that's, that's the way I do things. And I think that's why I've gotten through as many injuries as I have because I've just always taken it that way as a as a project as a task and I'm going to undertake it and I'm going to do the work uh so long story short uh it healed bone healed I got back to training uh no pain and when I was saying I was going to tell you about another low point was uh right before the qualifier in May we had an exhibition series with Australia and I jumped weird and it broke again oh god like two days before we're supposed to start the tournament and I knew it like 
and that's another moment that you were you were talking about earlier where just immediately in a dark place I, I had them sub me out and I went and sat in the corner by myself and yeah. my physio came up real quick he said you okay and I just said no it's broken and nobody talked to me for probably a day um, because I, they just knew not to they could just see on my face that I was gone again and Gavin can you quickly explain when you say broke just Again, viewers, uh, yeah, may, so or, should, the I, audience may not be clear on, on what you're talking about here and what's happening in your shin. Correct, yeah. Yeah, so not broke, uh, broken all the way through. So what it is, is uh, I was dealing with stress fractures. So having a, a pretty vivid black line fracture uh, across the anterior side of your bone, so the front side of your shin bone. So when you look on an x-ray, you'll see the whole bone, and then you'll just see like a black line, half, almost kind of like halfway through the bone. Is, right, uh, and so and so people need to understand that without the rods in there, if your leg was to actually fail with those stress fractures, it'd be a complete fracture, tib fibula, right? Yes. Uh, right. So, so I was lucky. Uh, I had the rod in there, and um, kind of sat down and just said, "Okay, well, pain I can handle. I've been through pain before. I've been through the pain of the surgery. We looked at the schedule for the tournament. We're like." 35 max set can you do it i said well i don't really have a choice if i want to go to the olympics i gotta do it and so i just kind of mustered it up and uh again started taking like advil and stuff and, and powered our way through that and, and thankfully it ended up on a on a positive note because man would that be i probably would have been in a very bad spot yeah. had, uh, had i gone through all of that and still not qualified yeah yeah you can you can appreciate because you know in this moment you know what you went through for that and you can appreciate because i'm sure that paul has it in his consciousness right now the qualifier that he played in when he came back from microfracturing surgery in his knee and he came back too early to play in the qualifier and then didn't qualify yeah I can I can only imagine Paul could probably tell you even even better how that would feel because it's just what people don't realize with injuries is they think that it's a break you know oh you're not playing the sport it's a, it's a break from oh. the sport, which is such go a on please go on <laughs> like people are just like oh you know you you had you had uh, six months off from from the sport it's you know why why are you feeling so tired yeah because it's so much harder to rehab and rebuild what you've lost yeah. like the energy and mental fortitude and mental energy put into every every day is so exhausting it's wild yeah. and yeah. and you end up coming back more exhausted than you would be if you were just playing that entire time yeah yeah that, and and that is such is such an important point it's it's something that Unless you're in it, you can't understand it. And I think for myself personally, I would go into a quick instant depression the second I realized I was injured, not because of the pain, not because of the injury, but because I instantly knew, oh my God, the work I'm going to have to do to get back to where I was five minutes ago. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's just this blow to you and to your motivation that, oh. yeah, you have to quickly find it again. But it, it's, demoralizing it's demoralizing like you lose in the blink of an eye because most injuries happen in that you know there's 
I mean, there are wear and tear ones, but the moment where you feel it and where you're like, boom, my knee is gone, my shoulder's gone, my shin is gone, whatever, it's it's the snap of a finger and you're just like, I just lost six months. Like, you Mm -hmm. can usually process it in your head and you're just like, I just lost like six months of time and I just lost all of this muscle in my leg because you get surgery and it all atrophies. I was just going to say, if, if you had to go under the knife, if at any of the points that either of you, because you both have multiple surgeries, when you go under the knife, that simply presents a whole slew, a whole nother layer of recovery that being anesthetized and recovering from just getting cut open adds to the whole procedure. It's, oh. it's, it's different than having... And it, not to not to minimize any other injury, but you know, say there's an ankle sprain and it was something that you had to recover from. But surgery in and of itself presents a whole nother layer of recovery that the other injuries don't. And and then there's there's the point that's just big being uh, being drawn out here, and that is that that people don't realize that high performance athletes, the best of the best are at the unhealthy end of the spectrum when it comes to overall health. You know, you think of fitness and you think of athletes as being healthy and all of this, but it's so, so far from that. There is such, such the extreme and you guys felt and feel this that you don't, you're never in a healthy zone. I'm quoting here, air quoting. You're never in this healthy zone because you're constantly being pushed to a zone that is barely physically manageable. Yeah, so you're, you, I mean, we perpetually live life on the edge of completely breaking down and high performance because that's where you need to live in order to be, I mean, there are people who do it, who don't care about being at the top or being at their very peak, but if you want to, you're, you're dancing that line between blowing everything in your body on one jump (laughs) and being wrapped up like a mummy to playing your best at Sport. Yeah. and and the other thing that people don't mention with surgery is you never come back 100 percent. you can get back uh, this is my own theory so i should uh preface that you can get back to 99 percent, but there will always be at least one little percent or something a little bit of range that you've lost that you used to have or a little bit of scar tissue that just causes a little bit of even just like tingling or something as soon as you're slotted to have a, a major injury or a surgery you never get back to 100 percent. You, you know what's interesting like this is where i this is where i might disagree a little bit but i i completely agree with you with what you've gone through because that's what you're that's what you're experiencing and and then at the same time like I, i've had this weird career of over 20 years that i i i, I don't this isn't a a uh, good thing, I guess, but I've gotten to see so many different ACL reconstructions or ankle injuries or shoulders or you name it, just so, so many different things. And you're bang on right that some of them just never come back the same. But then there's some that come back just, and many, many, like more than you'd think, come back just as strong, if not stronger than that other side, if they're rehabbed properly. Or then there's those scenarios like with Paul, where you know, you have multiple surgeons and physicians who would just quite literally say that, you know, once you're done playing, you know, your knees are just going to be really bad or your shoulder or you're, you know, talking about how the rest of his life is going to be hampered by the surgeries he's had and whatnot. 
whereas now, you know, he's, his knees are the least of his worries when it comes to things that hold him back. His knees have been probably the best. Uh, you can speak to this, Paul. I don't want to, I, I live with you. So I get to see what goes on. But, but, but you know, the knees, considering the surgeries he's had and the, the, just how hard it was to manage those knees while he was playing, you know, I know what that was like. I was helping through that zone and rehabbing some of the toughest surgeries, but now his knees are like the, the most solid part of him probably. No longer the Achilles heel. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's the Achilles I, 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 heel. Yeah. This is literally the Achilles heel. Yeah. I like, so I, I should uh, mention, like, I agree with you. A lot of people, uh, like when I came back from my second surgery, I think I was probably jumping as high, if not higher than before I had, like before I had the surgery and was healthy. So a lot of times you get back and you're maybe in even better shape because you take that time off. yeah you're not you're not on court yeah. you're off court yeah. finally you're off exactly. court. you're cleaning up movements <laughs> yeah. you're cleaning up movements you're no longer walking that brink um and so the knee will get back healthy or something it's 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 something i adopted i had a, a buddy who had a neck surgery and he's like you know what like i'm i am like fit as a fiddle but there's just like i used to be able to turn my head you can't see me but you know i i used to be able to turn it this much and now yeah. i can turn it this much and he's like i'm missing like 0.1 of a degree but he knows it yeah. he feels it yeah he's like it's 99 percent, and that only comes into play like it it doesn't really affect anything but every so often i'm running for a ball and I turn my head like just one degree farther and i'm missing that and yeah. i noticed that in my shins like you know there's just like one little angle that it pinches at because of the surgery it's not really anything that concerns anything or does but so you, there's always some nagging little something i i find at least um, which for 99 percent of people they would never notice but when you're exactly. when you're dealing with the top end of everything then every detail makes a difference exactly. and and that leads me to a question what what are the really what are some of the small things or actions that have had a really big impact maybe it's on your sport or your training or your life or even your relationships but what's something really small that makes a big difference um, for some area for you? Um, one thing that, that I found was finding a hobby off court. Hmm. And, and I think it was in Russia that I really started kind of taking a liking to cooking. You really needed a hobby in Russia, I bet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so great. And so I've heard bad. some great stories about life in Russia and yeah. not keen to get over there anytime soon. It's, you know what? It wasn't so bad, but yeah, it's definitely um it's it's so fun especially for an athlete because we're so focused tunnel vision is a good way about our sport about this yeah and i would come home and i would remain tunnel vision like okay let's fuel rest sleep again yeah sleep again and when you i found that hobby uh which is cooking coming home and like preparing meals and taking time and looking up recipes and that's not to say I do it every night. Some nights I come home and I'm like, what can I microwave and get in my yeah. body so I can collapse <laughs> on the couch? But finding a little bit of balance, something else that I found like a, a surmountable bit of joy in every day really uh, helped me put my sport and just training and everything a little bit more in perspective. It's like, hey, it's not the only thing I enjoy in life. Yeah. For a long time, you think it is yeah like, yeah this is the only yeah. thing i love and nothing else is good 
Stop it. Yeah. People are like, yep. don't, you, don't you like to like eat? No, it's crap. Yep. And then like as you get older and you start, you, you know, you develop relationships and hobbies. And so uh, that, that hobby for me was the first thing in my life that kind of put that into focus. And then once you allow one in, so maybe be it a relationship, be it uh, yep. a hobby, be it anything outside, you'll start to open up to the idea that more things can also make you happy. You can actually be sport. a human being. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, funny how that is. Because I went through <laughs> for so many years, just like, no, volleyball. It's like, yeah. hey, do you want to go to a movie? Don't like movies. I like volleyball. Leave me alone. Everybody can leave me alone. And it's like, oh, I like cooking. And oh, I like having a girlfriend in a relationship. And oh, I like, you know, yeah. keeping in touch with my family. And it kind of, yeah, it just brings that human side out because you lose it so fast, which is yes. fun. You just become this. I mean, you're, for our you're school, robot, this volleybot. Just yes, I love that term. <laughs> Paul knows. Paul, you were oh a volleybot for a while, I'm sure. Yeah, Kari knows because she spent the last six or seven years trying to help me find out what I actually like to do. No joke. <laughs> yeah. No joke. You know, there's a free day. What do you want to do? I don't know. I'm not playing volleyball. Yeah, basically. You know, I, I literally had nothing. My My life ended when my career stopped because I, you know, didn't build those hobbies and interests and pursuits or follow anything with any legitimate effort so that when it all ended i had nothing but but worse yet and even the little things you had you you didn't even want to look at like you you're a self-taught guitar player and you wouldn't touch the guitar or you know it's it's the mourning the loss of the volleyball so. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Kari, I don't know. There's other things. He could work out really well, though. Yeah. yeah. That's just clinging. But you know what? Like I, I do it too on on days off, and I, I like, I like working out. I like staying in good shape and eating well. And and a little bit I find of that is just like clinging to the past too. And yeah. when you're done, it's just like I gotta work out. I gotta train. Because I don't know if it's like a, a false belief that maybe you can make a comeback or just tying you back to, to that sport instead of just letting it go. And that's not saying like once you're done, your sport shouldn't work out. Everybody should stay in shape, stay healthy because it's just it's so much better for you. But like a lot of us just like find something if it's the gym or something. We dive in headstrong into it because it just it ties us back to being an athlete again. There was this point that we we were we were back in London and um, Paul and I were settling in, but we we're just opening the gym here in London and things were tight. Like we were really stretched. We had a baby on the way or just born. I think she was just born. And and all Paul could think of was, well, if I if I get a contract, I could I could make some money. But what what he wasn't really taking into consideration was that he had a freaking hernia like he couldn't he couldn't do anything he had a hernia he was having hernia surgery from lifting so many things when we moved and you know he was full-on like dysfunctional and all he could think of was but if I if I got a contract just this kind of comeback contract I could I could earn some money and you know because that's what he was hardwired to do that's what he knew how to do and I'm just thinking, well, you, you can't even walk properly. Like what's wrong here? Well, well, the thing is, and I'm, I'm going through it now because I'm getting closer to the end of my career than I am the start of it. But honestly, like I tell people, I'm not good at anything else. 
like that's the only way I know how to provide for myself and yeah. for for my girlfriend and for my you know if I have kids or a family it's so yeah. it's so easy to go back to that because it's what we know it's the only it's yeah. what we're what what we're good at yeah. and that's how we provide we provide by by what we're good at I watch my brother he's a millwright phenomenal and 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 he provides for his family like that but that's a career that could take him his whole life we but do this this sport for such a short amount of time and and we're expected to give that up, give up the only way that we know how to provide for yeah. ourselves and our families. And that's, that makes it extra hard. And the, the thing that happens too, is that anything after that seems like a disappointment because you're never going to make that kind of contract again with normal day-to-day work that when you head back into the regular world um, and so anything you're comparing to what you had as a top level player in the world is, is just so different. Like, it's just, it's, it's like, you feel like you're in the twilight zone. I've heard from a couple athletes cause they just, they can't relate to, you know, one, one person was her, her husband said, well, you know, maybe, maybe try some serving or bartending. And, you know, she was a top earner at what she did in her sport. So to show up and be a server just couldn't, couldn't sit well with her and and I know that Paul's felt those those same things it's just like well what do I what do I do with that when that's not who I am and it feels like such a step down and you know it just it all feels misaligned to where your values are who you are and being at the top of where you were yeah and and you know the the old saying do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life Paul if you could do what you're doing now or go back to playing volleyball which would you pick Go back to playing volleyball. Exactly. So, <laughs> so everybody yeah, it's simple. find that in your life, and we found it. We yeah. found yep. it. But then we're forced to give it up. So yeah. how how do you expect that we're going to find the yeah. other thing, that the second thing that we'd love, you know, and not have to work another day in our life? And, and you're, hit, you're so, hitting... You're hitting the nail on the head as to why we're doing this. Like one of the, there's a few key reasons, and this is one of the key reasons why we're doing this because people who are transitioning need support. And this is still relatable to other people out in the world who are doing their careers who aren't athletes, but for the athletes, they need to know how to get through this and that they're not the only ones who are going through this and that there's other people out there who get them they really get what they're going through yeah it's uh you know the amount of people that ask me all the time and it's 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 happened from the start of my career now for for 12 years well what are you going to do when you're done well what are you going to do when you're done well what are you going to do when you're done i don't don't freaking know i don't know and and for a long time i would tell those people well i don't know and i don't really want to know i have like my plan A, B, C, D is to be a successful volleyball player. And I'm putting all of my eggs in that basket because also from my end, that is the only way I know to become great mm-hmm. is to like not have a, it's good to have a backup plan. I'm not saying that, but I, I read it in a book, uh, Forrest Griffin's book. And he basically said, uh, I was half timing as a cop and half timing as a UFC fighter. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, my plan B was so close to my plan A because I enjoyed them both that it was too easy to quit. And he's like, until I just stopped being a cop and just put it down and it was plan F. Yeah. 
and my plan like a through e was like be a ufc fighter i i i, I didn't make it and i kind of just did that for a long time but now that i'm getting closer to retirement it's like well what are you going to do when you're done i'm like i don't know and it really stresses me out like, i don't know <laughs> that's why yeah. i'm dabbling guys i'm dabbling <laughs> yeah that's right keep dabbling keep dabbling baby we'll help da- help you dabble um what do you what do you want people to know about you that uh maybe one of those things that you just never get asked that you wish people would ask or something about you that you want people to know oh geez i've been a fairly open book and people ask me a lot of a weird lot of things yeah i don't i don't know that, that i have but i guess just that you know what as as much as i i love volleyball it's not not who i am yeah and a lot of people uh who who follow me or or watch our games or something they come up like geez you're not you're not what we expected we watched you play you thought you'd be like really kind of mean or cocky angry or cocky or whatever like we watch you on the court so so intense we thought you'd be a really intense person but you're a really lighthearted person and and i think it goes for for all athletes um you know, we're not who we are on the court. You get in a certain mindset in order to compete. And and I I hate people just assuming that they know what I'm like or who I am and, and judging me as a person for how I am on the court. Because mm-hmm. it's just it's just not really fair. If you take ten minutes and stop me at a grocery store, perfect example. I just met uh, I was just at the grocery store to buy dinner and uh, like yeah you're Gavin Schmidt I'm a big fan you know but oh are you a high school volleyball player blah 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 talk to him for a little bit go on my merry way but I'm willing to bet that kid just watched me somewhere and in his head he was probably thinking like oh it's gonna be really intense and scary Mm -hmm. but just stop stop the judging like just yeah if you see us come say hi like same with Paul you know if you watch him you might think oh he's a very intense person Go meet him. Paul's like one of the biggest kids at heart that I've ever met. <laughs> I remember like Paul when I came to the national team was running around playing soccer for a warm up, screaming at the top of his lungs, like jumping in the curtains in the gym, just like having a time. And I'm like, oh, this is wasn't me. <laughs> wasn't me. <laughs> Wait, but well, it's funny, Gavin. I I don't know. I think it's come across in this interview beautifully. Who you who you are? You're you're hilarious. You're playful. You love life. You love experiences, and I think that part of you is is the reason that you made it through the, the honestly horrific injuries that you've had to deal with in your career and be able to come out of the darkness is that levity and that that brightness that you have. I think that if people listening you know have dealt with injury or in injury, attitude is everything the the friend telling you what to think about to get positive and your overall positive spirit. You talked about bringing it to 40 of, you know, coming in every day and people going, what's with this guy. Well, what's with this guy is what actually works to get you through this hell of an injury. And, uh, your spirit, that, that energy that you have, that you want people to know about is the best part about you. I mean, people just love hanging out with you because you're hilarious. You know, you're going to tell jokes, mess around, prank people. It's, that's the kind of person people want to be around you know and that's the and that's the who you really are that's going to be the core of what brings you through any of your transitions and what still shines through whether you're in volleyball or not well that's that's what i'm hoping for i mean um 
and and like you said, Paul, to get you through injuries, to get you through everything. But uh, I find that it's just a life better lived, and like keep that inner child child alive. I mean, you you're very like very similar to how you described me, Paul. And when you can when you can keep that inner child alive, people like being around you. You know, you don't take things so seriously that you're off putting. You know, you can find the joy. You can bring joy to other people's. Mm-hmm. other people and people can bring that back to you and 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 you have that that's just a key for successful life because whether or not you know you're making a million dollars a year at least you're smiling and you're happy you know you're having a, a good time with with what's going on whether it be something good or something bad it's just trying to trying to keep that going all the way through peace love and positivity man i don't know a couple of people say that and it's pretty corny but if you can you can try and keep some of those things in your life. It's 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 a powerful thing. Yeah, we are we are in full agreement, full full agreement. Um, so I think that's a great great spot to wrap up. Unless there's something else that you want to add, um, I, I I just I want to say one thing about both of you, and this is that Paul was recently inducted into the Volleyball Hall of Fame, and. Uh, he was approached by a number of people who would tell him how much he affected their love of volleyball or, or even strong statements such as that they got into volleyball because of him. And I know that's true for you, Gavin, in that there's so many people that just fell in love with seeing you play and, and fell in love with the game because of seeing you play. And, and that's something that, you know, both of you, I think, can relish and not take for granted and just understand that you've had such a huge impact on other people's lives. And I know that both of you are so, so humble that that's not something that you can see, that big, big, huge impact you have on other people's lives. But we, as all of the other people you've impacted, are so grateful for what both of you have have contributed. So thank you. And thank you for coming on, Gavin. And we really, really appreciate having you. And, and we know that this will have such a positive impact on other people. Well, I, uh, I appreciate you having me on and I appreciate all of your kind words. So I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I really do hope that, um, you know what, maybe anybody listening or anybody who hears it or hears a bit of it, uh, that maybe it can help in some way, shape or form, because that's really what life is about is trying to help each other and everybody everybody help each other through it because it's tough at times yeah and connection that's amazing thank you so much gavin thank you gavin thanks guys okay take care you too thank you so much for listening to get more support in living your best life find us in our free facebook community empowered top performers we're on instagram at Paul Durden and at Empower Conditioning. Please share this podcast and rate us. A five-star review would mean the world to us. That is how we connect with and support more people to excel in sport and life. Take what you learned today and try it. Progress is perfection. 